Welcome to the Paralegal Voice, where you hear the latest issues and trends in the world of paralegals and legal assistance by two of the best-known paralegals in the industry, Vicki Voison and Linda Venny. Each of them paralegals for over 20 years and both dedicated to helping legal professionals reach their goals. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Thanks for joining us for this monthly podcast here on Legal Talk Network. I'm Vicki Voison, a NALA Advanced Certified Paralegal, calling in from Charlevoix, Michigan. I call myself the Paralegal Mentor and publish a weekly e-newsletter titled Paralegal Strategies. More information is available at paralegalmentor.com, where you can also obtain my 151 tips for your career success. And I'm Lynn DeVenny, a North Carolina State Bar Certified Paralegal employed for a small civil rights law firm, Elliot Pishko Morgan in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I co-authored with my boss, Griff Morgan, a textbook for paralegals, workers' compensation practice for paralegals, and I also strive to both educate and amuse the paralegal profession at Practical Paralegalism, my blog. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, NALA, a professional association for paralegals, providing continuing education and professional certification programs for paralegals at NALA.org. The goal of the Paralegal Voice is to discuss a wide range of topics important to the paralegal industry and to share leading trends, significant developments, and resources that you'll find helpful in your careers and your everyday jobs. We'll also have guests on the program to help us explore timely topics. And I'm very excited about today's timely topic, which is the cloud. Um, I've been doing a CLE recently, uh, presenting uh, old-fashioned ethics in a newfangled age. Uh, And when I talk about the cloud, I show cartoons, but I'm not sure I'm giving enough information to educate my attendees. So I'm really excited about this podcast in which we're going to discuss what every paralegal needs to know about, quote, unquote, the cloud. The cloud can be quite a mystery, so to help us out, we're joined by our very special guest, Tom Mile. Tom is a senior consultant with Mountain View, California-based Contural Incorporated, where he helps companies with their records management and litigation readiness issues. He publishes two blogs, Interalia and iPad 4, and that's the number four, lawyers, and I happen to subscribe to both of those blogs and totally enjoy them. He's recently published a new book, iPad in One Hour for Lawyers, and is the co-author of The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technology, Smart Ways to Work Together. You may also have heard Tom on the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast he co-hosts right here on Legal Talk Network. Tom will serve as chair of the ABA's Law Practice Management section starting in September of this year. And uh, Tom, you are a genuinely very busy guy, so we appreciate your taking the time to join us. Welcome to the Paralegal Voice. Well, thanks so much for having me. I love your show. Tom, for the benefit of our listeners who are still wondering, what exactly is this cloud that everyone's talking about? What is the basic definition? You know, I think that it's really a simple concept when you get the idea that the cloud is really the internet. And that's that's how I like to think of the cloud mostly. It means something that's online. And when you think of it being online, 
It means something that's not on your computer, something that's not local to you, something that you may be accessing on someone else's computer. Uh, when people talk about the idea of cloud computing, I think that uh, what's important to think about is that cloud computing allows you to outsource basic services. So you don't have to take care of those services yourself and host them on your own computer rather than installing software on your own computer or buying a server to store the data on your premises or on, within your firm or in your office. You're instead using the software and server that someone else owns and maintains. And I think that's probably the easiest way to think about it. It's just accessing the data you create or want to maintain on someone else's computer. Okay. Here's a, a really good question for you, Tom. What cloud-based non-legal services may our listeners be using right now that they haven't thought of as the cloud? Well, I think the easiest one to think about as a cloud service is just your email. If you're using a web-based email service like Gmail or Yahoo or Hotmail um, or, heaven forbid, anybody has an AOL email address still, that <laughs> is a cloud-based service. Uh, you know, when you talk about Gmail, you don't have to worry about running the email software like you might have to if you were running Microsoft Outlook and you were using uh, Exchange, Microsoft Exchange, to host email inside your firm or office. You also don't have to worry about having a place to store all that email. Google takes care of all of that, the software and the storage. They develop and maintain the software. They handle all of the email, so it's all kept there. Um, I think another easy, uh, another easy example is Westlaw and Lexus. In a way, those are both cloud services because you are using their computers, and to a certain extent, you are accessing the information that you uh, search for on their on their computers. Now, it's a little bit different because it may not be a service that uh, you store a lot of information on, but it's still the same concept. You're using their servers uh, to hold information, and they run the particular service for you without you having to run it on your own computer. Um, Tom, you've talked about legal research services. Um, what other kinds of services are many forward-thinking legal practitioners already moving to and or using in the cloud? You know, I think that the one that is most interesting to me is in the practice management area, that practice management software is moving to the cloud and lots of lawyers are taking advantage of it. I think that talking about law practice management for a long time and, and Although it's a, a practice management software is not a, a topic that, that I speak on often, lots of my colleagues in the area are constantly railing against the fact that lawyers and law firms pro don't have uh, practice management software the way that they need to. Uh, most, most firms are using Outlook as practice management software. Now that several companies are using the cloud to provide practice management, uh, I think it makes it a lot more accessible to lawyers and firms to be able to do it. Practice management software, very basically put, is the ability to run your practice from a single dashboard with information on almost all parts of your practice there. You've got your calendar with all of your docketing. You have uh, client relationship management tools there that help you manage your clients and how often you contact them and, and basic information about them. It can help contain information about your uh, billing and, and invoicing of the clients, and it's really a lot of tools that help you really run your practice. Uh, a couple of the companies that, that I know do a great job in providing the service are uh, Clio 
uh, Rocket Matter. There are a couple of other services that are offering practice management software online. Uh, there are, uh, for example, if you don't want the whole practice management uh, tool, there are other companies who are just offering the time and billing option. You can uh, bill all of your time uh, online. You can uh, bill it from your cell phone. You can bill from a tablet computer. You can bill from your laptop or a desktop computer and have the uh, service do all of your invoicing and keep all of your billing records there. So uh, those are a couple of the examples where I think that lawyers are uh, starting to take advantage and law firms are starting to take advantage of cloud computing services, but there are a lot of others. And I'll we'll talk about how to find out about some of those a little bit later in this uh, interview. Well, Tom, I'm always talking about and writing about how to be more productive, because it's really important for law firm staff to be as productive as possible. Uh, so we get, uh, you know, more billable hours and get more work done for the clients. Uh, what I'm wondering is how cloud-based services improve the efficiency of a law practice. I think there's two main ways. There are a number of ways, but I'm just going to focus on two, which I think are uh, the big the big reasons to think about using cloud services uh, for some of the things you might want to do in your office. The first is uh, anytime, anywhere access. The idea of a cloud service is that because it's on the Internet, that it's going to be available to you no matter where you happen to be, whether you are at home, whether you're at work, whether you're on the road somewhere. Um, any place you can have an Internet connection, you ought to be able to connect to these services. So the ability to be able to have anywhere, anytime access is, I think, a very much a, a good thing to have when, when you're thinking about cloud services. I think it really increases your ability to be efficient no matter where you happen to be. The other one is in the, uh, in the vein of letting lawyers and legal professionals uh, practice law and, and, and do what you are trained to do and not what you may have to do as, as part of, of running maybe a small law firm where, uh, in addition to being a paralegal or a lawyer, you are also IT or litigation support or some other function in that cloud services uh, the, the, the people who provide these services essentially provide you with all of the upgrades and the maintenance behind the scenes. You don't have to worry about it. When, you, um, when a new version of Microsoft Office comes out, uh, you typically have to go and purchase a new, uh, the new version and then install that new version on everybody's computer, and you have to take time out of that to do that perhaps yourself or you have IT people who can handle that for you. But if you don't have IT people, you're, you're likely doing that or someone else in your office is taking care of that. With a cloud-based service, uh, the upgrades are transparent. You don't really see what's going on. Uh, you just boot up the computer one day, and all of a sudden you've got some new features, or you have an upgraded version of that, uh, of that software, and it's available to you. Uh, it happens without you having to be involved, and maintenance happens also. Usually the services will, will do routine maintenance on all of their tools uh, overnight so that it is uh, least intrusive to you when you're trying to use them. And I think that the ability or the, 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 the ability of these services to handle both the uh, upgrades and the maintenance means that you are able to actually do your job and you're not having to handle jobs that maybe you weren't trained or hired for in the first place. 
Uh, Tom, I know a lot of listeners' ears are perking up at the idea of um, shedding some of the unofficial IT guy duties that they have, especially for small and medium-sized firms. And when you talked about practice management uh, software, I thought about my career, and I have always worked for firms that had it since um, since around 1990. So I, I cannot imagine managing my caseload without it. Um, but I'm actually researching... Um, online practice management software for our firm to make that shift. Uh, and since that is something that paralegals often do for their firms, um, i.e. the technology research, what should they be aware of or be cautious of when considering cloud-based services for their firm? I think it really boils down to one thing, and that's security. Because essentially when you are, when you are working with a cloud service, you are entrusting certain pieces of your firm's data to another company. Now, that information may be confidential, it may be non-confidential information, but it's still your firm's information and it still has a value to you. So when you are looking at whether or not to, uh, to go with a particular provider, you need to do a certain amount of due diligence about the security that these companies are going to have. Now, uh, I, I think that the security of most of these services uh, or at least many of them, is going to be uh, uh, comparable, if not much better, than the security that most law firms have on their, uh, on their uh, own systems. So, you know, Google's uh, security is probably 10 times better than most services because they have to be, because they are subject to attacks. Uh, and so I think that, for the most part, the security is going to be really good, but you really need to satisfy yourself that it meets your firm's requirements. I, I think it's also important to understand that in addition to the security aspects, uh, having uh, complete and full access to the data that you store up there is important. Uh, you know, what happens if there is an interruption in business uh, or a disaster? Uh, how uh, can I get access to that information, whether that's an interruption in business on my side or maybe on the side of the provider? How will I get to that information? What if the cloud provider goes out of business. We hope that the, that the companies we go with are there for the long haul and are, are, are doing it for the long term, but you never know, especially when the economy is uncertain, when a company is going to go out of business. Do you know that you can get your data back? Is there something provided in the, in the, the services agreement that you have with the company to be able to get your data back? What happens if, heaven forbid, you miss a monthly subscription payment. Most cloud services charge you on a subscription flat fee basis. What happens if you miss a payment or miss a series of payments? Uh, is there something in the, uh, in the agreement that still allows you to get your data back and the, that, that they will not necessarily hold your data hostage if for some reason you're not paying for that? Um, I think that these are all really important questions that you need to ask. There are a lot others, and I'll show you where you can get to some of them in a, in a little bit. But I think that these are some of the biggest questions that need to be answered. You touched just a little bit on some ethical considerations, which we're all concerned about when we think of the cloud. And, you know, the number one is, of course, confidentiality. Is there anything you can add to that? Well, I, you know, I think when we talk about confidentiality, you want to make sure that there is no inadvertent uh, disclosure of that confidential information. You know, if you have made the decision that the cloud service you're going to use is not going to hold any confidential information, then that 
in, in, in a way takes care of, of some of the issues, and you don't have to address the, address the ethical issues quite as strongly as you would uh, if you did have confidential information. But if you are placing client data or other type of confidential uh, documents or other information in one of these cloud services, you really need to ask how is it being protected? Uh, is it encrypted when it's being transmitted between you and the cloud provider? Is it being encrypted when it's sitting within the cloud provider? Is it, is it something that, that if somebody wanted to uh, hacked into, they couldn't actually access the information because it was encrypted and they did not have the key? I think that the cloud service providers also need to have what I would think of as the basic minimums for security, they would need to have firewalls to prevent uh, people from attacking their systems. Obviously, antivirus protection to make sure that they didn't get uh, infected with anything that could steal or remove data from their systems. Uh, intrusion detection systems to understand if somebody does get through, um, how they got through, and what the extent of the breach was. And I think there are other basic security measures that you need to satisfy yourself when you're researching these companies to make sure that the data that's being held there uh, is as safe and as protected from being disclosed as it would be if it were sitting on your own computers in your own firm. Tom, thanks for those great explanations. Um, I'm going to be replaying this podcast and taking lots of notes. Uh, It's time to take a quick break now. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the cloud and the iPad with Tom Mile. NALA means professional. NALA offers classroom and web-based continuing education and professional development for all paralegals. And NALA's certified paralegal credential has been a gold standard of professionalism for over 30 years. More than 15,000 paralegals have this certification, and nearly 2,000 have achieved the demanding advanced certified paralegal. NALA works actively with others in the legal field to promote the value of paralegals and to advance paralegal professionalism. See more about why NALA means professional at www.nala.org. Welcome back to The Paralegal Voice. I'm Vicki Voison, and our guest today is Tom Mile. Tom, you've, you've addressed uh, some of the things that I was going to ask you in this question. I mean, cloud-based uh, storage is increasing in popularity, but it's still scary for many legal professionals. Um, are there any other tips for those considering it? Do you have any particular recommendations? And I think all of us want to know, uh, because Dropbox is such a popular cloud storage uh, provider. After recent news stories about Dropbox, do you still use it yourself? I still do use Dropbox, although it's it, it, the service is definitely trying my patience because they seem to be on that. And I don't, I don't know if it's a matter of because they're so popular that they're kind of on the receiving end of a lot of issues. But, uh, but, but, and just to, to catch the listeners up, Dropbox is a very popular cloud-based file management and storage service where you can store your clouds and synchronize those files uh, to the cloud and have access to them based on any, com- you know, based from any computer that you'd like to get them. Uh, the past couple of months, they've had some some bad. Uh, bad times in the news when it was revealed that, one, the, uh, the files are encrypted, 
but they disclosed that their employees can get to that encrypted information whenever they want to. Uh, and likewise, they've disclosed that if the government ever comes and, and, and wants to get uh, information that's in a Dropbox account, that they'll essentially turn that information over uh, unen- in an unencrypted format, I think, is what we're led to believe. And then this past week was something that, that uh, I think was probably not harmful, but potentially could have been very harmful. And there was a a bug in one of their updates. They did a system update, and there was a bug in it that essentially left all accounts wide open to using any password at any time. And what I've read, it it only affected about 100 accounts that were logged in at the time. uh, And and it doesn't appear that there was any substantial damage done. but, But the point is still clear that there's an issue here, and it needs to be addressed. And I hope that Dropbox is addressing it. I have to say that other than Dropbox, I'm not aware of any services, you know, Box.net, SugarSync, NetDocuments, uh, I think WorldDocs has a file management tool. Those all are, are similar services to Dropbox, although probably not as widely available or known to people. And we never hear those types of problems happening. So I think that stories like this are rare and, and, and fairly isolated. Uh, I'm pretty confident that Dropbox is going to fix the issues. I mean, they, I think, are stepping up to address it after the the issue this weekend. And I still use Dropbox for most of my documents and don't have a problem with it. I'm not sure that I would recommend that you you store your confidential records on there until they fix some of these issues. But I think, in the for the most part, it's fine for keeping your non-confidential records up there. I, I think it comes down, really, to a matter of trust and, and the trust that we place in the security measures of this company. Uh, as, as people within firms, we have chosen to place trust in the security that our IT department sets up for the systems that we have. And I think that we just have to understand that the, the, the trust uh, is, is that, we need, is, that we need to have in these services uh, needs to extend to cloud-based services as well. We need to understand when they tell us that here's what we have to, to, ser- to, do, uh, to protect your data that uh, that that's going to happen. I, I can't really give any better recommendation than you've just got to trust that what they tell you is the truth. That you have to understand that it's the same as what you've got in your firm, but probably better. If you're still nervous about using it for storage, I would just try it out with some data that's not sensitive. So with some non-confidential data, put some records up there that are yours that you wouldn't mind if, if, if you lost them or things like that. You'd still have a copy of them on your computer. Just put up some of the papers and documents that you work on with other people just to collaborate on records. And try it out and see if you like it. And if you don't like it and if you're still concerned about the security issues, then maybe you need to wait a while before you, you, you come around to it. But I think that if you can just get to that trust point with them, then it'll make it a lot easier for you to use these services. Sorry, that's a long-winded answer, but it, it kind of deserved that. Well, we've all been reading about Dropbox, so it's good to hear that you're still using it and that you also have some good ways that we can go about using it ourselves. Are you able to recommend any online resources or, or even publications that would be very helpful to paralegals who are interested in learning more about these cloud-based services? Um, I have a couple, a couple of, of resources. You know, frankly, just if you just go to Google and type in cloud computing, uh, I did it just this morning and and came up the first. 15 or 20 results are very solid, reputable sites that describe cloud computing and go into a little bit more detail than I'm able to go into in this podcast. Uh, if you want to look at it from a legal perspective, take a look at, um, just uh, again, go to Google and type in Tech Show 2011 Program Materials. That's Tech Show 2011 Program Materials. 
ABA Tech Show placed the PowerPoints of all of its sessions this year online, free and available to anybody. And um, there is a link there. There's a whole track dedicated to cloud computing. So scroll down once you get to that page, and you'll be able to see a couple of presentations that were dedicated to cloud computing. One of them was one that, that Stephanie Kimbrough and I did on what we call popular cloud services for lawyers that, that go into a lot more detail on services than I was able to during this podcast. Um, speaking of Stephanie Kimbrough, Visit her blog. It's called virtuallawpractice.org. She talks a lot about virtual law practice, but she also spends time talking about cloud computing because that's essentially how a virtual law practice is organized. And then uh, I I think uh, there's another book that's coming out. It's not available yet, but the uh, ABA's law practice management section is going to publish a book called Cloud Computing for Lawyers that has a, a lot going, I think, going to have a lot of good information uh, on cloud computing, different services, and especially a lot of the ethical uh, and security uh, issues that paralegals and lawyers both need to think about when they're investing in cloud computing services. I'm glad you referenced Stephanie. I actually used a quote from a recent post she did in which she just did a list of uh, cloud-based services uh, that people don't even realize they're using. Yep, exactly. Um, and just, just, just an excellent you know, list. And, and actually, I use that when I talk and try to explain the cloud at uh, CLE presentations. Speaking of publications, you just published a new book, iPad in One Hour for Lawyers. Uh, first of all, where can our listeners purchase a copy? Well, right now, unfortunately, the ABA doesn't make things available on Amazon for a certain period of time after it get, gets published. So right now, you can purchase it at the ABA web store. Just Google ABA web store, and you will uh, be able to either type in my name or iPad in one hour, and you can buy the book directly from the ABA. Well, speaking of iPads, Tom, they're they're really the rage with legal staffers these days. I actually just got an iPad a couple of weeks ago, and I know that Lynn's had one for a while. And you know, it's it's another learning curve. So I'd like to know how legal staff can best use the iPad as they assist lawyers with their practices. You know, I think that there's a couple of ways that legal staff can use the iPad. Uh, one one is just simple note taking. I uh, would always have a paralegal present when I was meeting uh, with clients or with others who would take the notes of that particular meeting. And I think that note-taking on an iPad is just a natural extension. It's Instead of the legal pad, you can use the notepad. There are a ton of great note-taking apps that uh, you can either use with a stylus if you, if you prefer actually writing on the screen, or if you want to get a, a keyboard and type, you can t- take notes simply by typing. I think that another way that paralegals can use the iPad and paralegals and and legal staff is with the managing of documents and making sure lawyers always have access to the right records. Uh, There are, we've talked about Dropbox a lot here. Dropbox is is one reason why it's so popular is is that it provides access to to nearly all uh, uh, productivity apps that you can find on the iPad. There are so many apps that have a connection to Dropbox where you can create a document and store it automatically in your Dropbox files or pull something down from your Dropbox files and work on it on the iPad. It's just a natural connection. And uh, there are some apps that I think that allow people to, to, uh, to, to manage documents better on the iPad, to keep them in files, even though the iPad doesn't really have a file structure like you'd be used to on your desktop or your laptop computer. It, some of the apps 
provide this kind of structure and make it a lot easier to both uh, keep records and then go back and read them later. I think we'll talk about them in just a second. Then there are also some great apps. If, if, if legal staff is involved in either showing documents to clients or experts, getting them to sign things, there's some terrific apps that allow you to actually sign documents on the iPad and have that signature be uh, converted onto the PDF and saved onto the file. Um, and, and they can then present documents to clients or lawyers for review, for signature, and then save those documents to folders either on the iPad or in services like Dropbox. Uh, Tom, can you share your three favorite business apps with us? Uh, that was uh, we we talked about some of these questions in advance, and that was one of the toughest questions because it's hard for me to <laughs> just know. think of three. So I, actually, I'm going to cheat. Um, I'm going to give you uh, two, and then one sub one one category with with a couple of apps within them. Um, The first app that I recommend is called Goodreader. Goodreader is, in my opinion, the best app for organizing and reading documents. You can bring documents into the app from either from email or from Dropbox or from any app that will connect with Goodreader, and you can then organize them into folders. I was talking earlier about organizing them. This makes it so simple to organize folders. You can zip files together. You can unzip a zip file and put it into a folder there. You can annotate records, and it reads just about any type file that you might want to put in there. It's just I, when I go to meetings now with the ABA, I don't bring my laptop. I just bring my iPad, and I store all my records there for all the meetings organized by folder. It's so easy to look at. Um, another document tool that I love is one called iAnnotate PDF, and I like this for both reading PDF files, but also annotating them. You can load pleadings, case law, memos, case opinions, anything that you want, and then highlight it. You can mark it up. You can add comments to it. You can do anything that you would do in, say, Adobe Acrobat. You can do the same thing in terms of marking up uh, in iAnnotate PDF. That's another one. It's from a firm, a company called Aji, A-J-I. I think that's how you pronounce it, or Ahi. I'm not sure. Uh, and then finally, the last category are trial apps. There are a number of interesting apps for litigators that are coming out. You can uh, uh, create deposition outlines and store them, store them with exhibits uh, with an app called Deponent uh, that you can then show the, the witness the exhibit right from the screen, right from the iPad without having to print a lot of copies to hand around. Uh, there's an app called iJuror that helps you uh, map out your jury panel and allows you to enter information about the panel members during trial. It's a great jury selection tool. And then there's an, uh, another one that just released its version 2 with a lot of improvements called TrialPad. TrialPad is a fantastic low-cost tool for presenting evidence either at trials or hearings instead of some of the big, uh, big, big high-cost software that I'm used to using like Sanction or Trial Director. Uh, TrialPad only costs you $89.95, which is expensive for an app, but a lot cheaper than some of the comparable tools that you might buy for a computer. So, Tom, what's your favorite app for writing and also sharing documents with the iPad? And, of course, we'd also like to know if there's any guilty pleasure app that you have out there. Well, you've you've already mentioned Angry Birds, so that's part of a guilty pleasure, but I won't won't mention that because I know that everybody likes to to use uh, Angry Birds. My favorite note-taking app, if I'm going to take notes by pen or by stylus, it's an app called Note Taker HD. It's a really powerful note-taking tool. It might be a little confusing when you first open it up, but take some time with it. Learn how it works. It's a fantastic, fantastic note-taking tool. If I'm going to work with regular documents, uh, Word documents, Excel files, PowerPoint 
presentations, things like that. I prefer using Documents to Go. It's the old program that's been around for at least 10 or 15 years because it was on my palm. It was on all other devices. It's been around for a long time, and now there is an iPad version that makes it very simple to make basic edits or create basic documents. It's not a full-fledged word processing tool, but it gets the job done for just very basic stuff. Um, like I said before, my favorite document sharing uh, tool is Dropbox. Being able to access, when I carry my iPad around, I literally have every document that I need on there, and I can then also share those folders with other people. It, you, you, it helps to have a Dropbox account, but it doesn't, it's not necessary. You can still share individual files with anybody. As far as guilty pleasure, and I'll, I'll say this real quickly, I guess my... Uh, the, the, the trio of guilty pleasure apps all center on entertainment and on television. I'm a TV addict. I watch a lot of TV. And so these three apps kind of help me get through. First, there's the DirecTV app. I use DirecTV. And with DirecTV app, I might be on the road and I remember that there's a show that I'm going to miss. I can go on my iPad and record that show instantly and, and, and select which box in the house I want to record it on. I love being able to do that. If I happen to forget to record a show, then chances are I can catch it on Hulu. Hulu is a great app that's a companion to the web-based service where you can watch not every TV show, but a lot of TV shows, and most of my favorites are up there. And then if you're an HBO fan, HBO Go literally has access to all of its HBO shows, the all archives, everything. And I think you've got to have an HBO subscription to do that, but uh, it is a fantastic app, uh, and I recommend all of those uh, very highly. Those are great recommendations. Tom, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, if our listeners, I know you, you do have a, a blog, especially for iPads and legal professionals. Um, if listeners have a question, um, what's the best way for them to pose that question to you? Uh, comment at your blog, or do you have an email address you use for that kind of uh, contact? If you want to, if you want to go to the blog, which is just uh, iPad four number the number four iPad four lawyers dot squarespace dot com, that you can go there and just leave a, a, a comment there or, or contact me that way. If you want to send me a direct email, then you can send it to, to uh, T as in Tom T Mile. That's T M I G H E L L at gmail dot com. Thanks, Tom. We're going to take another very short break, and when we get back, we'll share paralegal news and announcements with you, so don't go away. So nobody's reading your ads in the legal journals or magazines? Try your marketing with Legal Talk Network. Over 4 million listeners since launch. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and shoot us an email or call us at 781 781- 551-9960. Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says our podcast feeds. Now you'll be all set. Welcome back to the Paralegal Voice. This is the time in the program when I give practice tip and Lynn also gives her social media tip for the day. Now, my tip for today is sort of a practice tip, and it's also sort of a networking tip. 
Every paralegal should have business cards to share at networking events. And most of us do have business cards provided by our firms. So if if you have those, be sure you have a good supply with you at all times. If your firm doesn't provide those for you, you can order them for yourself, and they're really not terribly expensive. Just don't include the name of your employer on the card. You'll want to include your name, your contact information, such as your address, phone number, email address, that kind of thing. And also, if if you have a certification credential, be sure to include that. Now, a good source for these cards is vistaprint.com, where you can usually get, um, well, you can get 250 basic cards for just the cost of shipping. And again, that website is vistaprint, V as in Victor, I-S-T-A-P-R-I-N-T.com. Take a good supply of your cards with you to all networking events, seminars, association meetings, conventions, you know, whatever you're going to where there are going to be other colleagues there. And you'll need those to share with those colleagues with your um, and also with the vendors. Uh, Vendors use these to uh, use the information on your cards to send you um, messages about deals that they're having. And also uh, they use those for their drawings. So you may want to win a prize at one of these events. So Lynn, what's the social media tip? I do have a brief social media tip. I think the business card uh, recommendation is excellent. I think all firms should provide their legal staff with a business card. Uh, My firm has always provided them to me. I just got back about two weeks ago. I spoke at the uh, North Carolina Advocates for Justice summer conference, had a purse full of business cards. And much to my surprise, I also got to meet Erin Brockovich. Um, It was a highlight of my paralegal career, definitely. Uh, She was a wonderful guest on our previous uh, Paralegal Voice podcast. And for those of you new to the podcast, if you're trying to catch up, um, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to the uh, podcast uh, where Erin was a guest. She just make you feel incredibly good about being a paralegal. As far as a social media tip, um, I am going to recommend that, you know, you, you don't hear about people doing this enough, but you need to Google yourself. Uh, you need to find out what comes up under your name on the internet. Uh, you need to run your name in several search engines. Uh, it's also a very good idea to set up a Google alert for your name. Also, if you're self-employed for your business, if you run a website or you have a blog, uh, set up a Google alert for that as well. Uh, Google also, I'm a Google girl, uh, has a great uh, new resource on its dashboard, which is part of your Google account, which is free, uh, called, and I'm just about to just draw on a blank here, called Me on the Web. Uh, It helps you manage your online presence and also uh, get rid of unwanted um, online references. So um, check that out and definitely Google yourself if you haven't in a while and put your own name in a Google alert. That's all I've got for you today. That's all the time we have today for the Paralegal Voice. Don't forget to check out the show notes for this podcast on our blogs, practicalparalegalism.com and paralegalmentor.com. This is Vicki Voison. And I'm Lynn DeVenny. Thank you all for joining us today. And we're here to remind you to make your paralegal voice heard. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.
Thanks for listening to The Paralegal Voice with Linda Venny and Vicki Voison. This podcast is produced by the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to get the next edition of the podcast. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.